0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Red Letters Sermon Series, which looks at the words of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Are you in Matthew 4? Uh, let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to read the entire chapter, so stand with me. It's only 11 verses. But we've been talking about the red letters. Remember Jesus, when he was 12 years old, said to his, his mother and, and Joseph, What? No, you not. I must be about my father's business. And he talked about that. And then uh, last week we studied about his baptism. And he told John, It now becometh us to, uh, to fulfill all righteousness. And these are the words that Jesus spoke. And now we're looking at the third time we see the words of Jesus Christ recorded for us. In Matthew chapter 4, right after the baptism, the Holy Spirit descended, the voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, verse 1, then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone And Jesus saith unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Just reading down through verse 11. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time to preach. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We pray that he would have freedom to deal with our hearts, each one of us, Lord, throughout this uh, time. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings that you give each and every one of us in our church. And we ask for your continued will in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Matthew, in uh, writing his gospel, the gospel of Matthew, he is presenting Jesus Christ as the king. That's what he's doing. He he starts out in the beginning. He's a king, the king of kings and so forth. Uh, uh, From chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, he's talking about the ancestry of Jesus. It's a royal genealogy. He talks about the virgin birth and so forth, and he's given us the adoration of the wise men who have come, and, and they are the people who, who uh, uh, the Persian wise men who would set up kings and so forth and attend a test to a kingship. The Old Testament prophecies have been used to introduce uh, this Jesus as the king, and of course uh, John the Baptist uh, introduced him, as he said, behold the Lamb of God, and he's introduced there as the, the sacrifice for our sin. All of this is done in the first three chapters, <clears throat> showing that Jesus is the Messiah. And then, of course, the voice of God out of heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, we see all of that in chapters 1, 2, and 3, and then we come to chapter 4, and uh, we find that there's more to it than just him becoming set up as a king, we find that there's some things that are going to go on in the life of Christ that are going to be opposition. We find that the devil is going to come and tempt him. We find that Jesus is going to be uh, rejected from, uh, from all of his men, from all of the uh, Israelites. They're going to reject him. He came unto his own and his own what? Received him not. He came to them and they said, no, we'll not have you. John chapter 1, verses 10, 11, and 12. And we see that he was uh, uh, the light, but he was rejected. And we see that all the way through Matthew. And we come to the last few chapters of Matthew, about the last 150 verses of Matthew, and we see that he's totally rejected, where they cry out, crucify him, and they nail him to the cross. And all of that takes place, but... He didn't stay dead, did he? He rose from the dead, proving to us, proving to those people, proving to all eternity that he is the king, he is the Christ, he is the Son of God. Here as we come to chapter 4, we see this beginning of the the rejection. We see in chapter 4 the first conflict that is going to take place that we are aware of in the life of Christ. Let me be very very clear. I believe that Satan was opposing Christ all the way through. I believe that Satan was looking to see who this Christ was going to be, who Jesus was. And uh, as he figured it out, which he did, he wanted to attack Christ at every opportunity. We see that the battle begins to take place, a battle of rejection, a battle of hostility that continues throughout the lifetime of Jesus Christ. Following every mountaintop experience, there's a valley. If you've ever been out hiking and you've gone and you've tried to get to the top of a little hill, when you get up there, you look and there's a valley and another hill and a valley and another hill. And it's continually like that. And it's like that in life. And, of course, the baptism of Christ was, was a, a mountaintop experience, but now he's down in the valley. So this battle of temptation that we're going to see is very important because this is a time when Christ has been declared the son of God, he's been declared the king of kings, he's been declared the lamb that taketh away the sin of the world, and now he's going to go and he's going to subject himself to the temptation down in the valley, if you will, to prove his credentials. We need to realize that Satan is the god of this world. Presently, don't we see that? We see presently that Satan is the god of this age. He has usurped the kingship of Christ, if you will. Temporarily, he is the prince and power of the air. He is the ruler of darkness, and he is the king of this age. If Jesus Christ is indeed the king of glory, then he must demonstrate his power over this temporary kingship that Satan has set up. The questions are these. Can this man Jesus really rescue sinners? Can he deliver us from the clutches of the kingship of Satan? Can he save us from our sin? Can he show us a path of victory over temptation? Can he overcome temptation and teach us how to overcome temptation. So we need to know this if we're going to recognize Jesus as the true King of Kings and the Savior. So in this passage, we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with temptation because the way that he dealt with temptation lays down for us a framework and an example of how you and I can and need to deal with temptation when it comes our way. How many of you had to deal with temptation sometime during the past week. Yeah, I'm not talking about eating that candy that Micah took to his Spanish girlfriend, but I am talking about there is temptations that come our way and we all deal with temptation and it's temptations in various ways, various fashions, and uh, we all deal with it in different levels in our life. Uh, depending on our past histories and so forth. But temptation is very common. The Bible says there's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So everybody deals with the same temptations, but it comes in different forms, of course, but they're the same things. And so we're going to look at this because Jesus deals with these temptations and he overcame the devil and he gave us an opportunity to understand how to do that in our own life. Now, Satan has been trying to destroy Jesus and the work of God uh, ever since he was cast down out of heaven. He has his imps, his demons, and he's been uh, fighting against uh, uh, the Word of God and the people of God, and he'll continue that until he's cast down into the lake of fire to burn forever and ever. The Bible says it's prepared for the devil and his angels. And all the way long along, he's been trying to destroy the work of God and the work of Christ. He tried to destroy his lineage and genealogy, tried to kill off people. He tried to destroy the nation of Israel, God's people. If you study the nation of Israel and the prophecies and, and how it has continued to flourish, even through all the attacks of mankind and Satan upon it, the nation of Israel itself is a proof of the word of God. And just seeing how God has worked back in history and as, as Daniel brought out back in the Judges, as we see how God once and again delivered his people, even in our de- present age. How many of you were alive in 1948? All right. Dan, you are scratching your head or raising your hand? All right. Well, I wasn't alive, I was born in 1949, just a few months after Israel became a nation on May the 14th, 1948. Back in their land, back collected in their land. And the the language Hebrew was a dead language, but now it's alive again. These are miracle things that have happened, but they're all fulfillment of God's prophecy that said they would happen. Israel became a nation on, again, on May the 14th, 1948. You know what happened May the 15th, 1948, the very next day? 12 nations attacked Israel. 12 Arab nations attacked them and tried to drive them into the sea. They've had this desire all these years. And it's it's satanic to want to get rid of these people and destroy the people of God. 12 nations attacked them. And that, that war lasted nine months. And of course, Israel became victorious. Israel took more land that they were trying to push them into the sea and Israel took more land. Some of you are alive, most of us were alive in 1967. Remember the Six Day War? How many of you remember that? The war just lasted six days. There were four nations then. It was Syria and Egypt and Iran and uh, um, another one. Anyway, four nations came up against Israel and tried to attack them and in six days, Israel destroyed them and took the Golan Heights and, and uh, uh, took back Jerusalem and took more, more land and area. Because you see, they are God's people. But Satan has been trying to destroy them way back in the, from Haman back there. We remember studying him and Esther, tried to, to destroy all the Jews, clear up through the Holocaust. And even today, there is a satanic attack on the Jews. They are God's chosen people. And the promise that God made way back there in in Genesis, I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee, is still a true promise today. Believe me, we need to pray for Jerusalem. We need to be friends of the Israelites because they are God's chosen people. After all, Jesus is a Jew. Our Savior is a Jew. Well, I bring all that to point just to say that Satan has been attacking The jews He's been attacking the plan of God and Jesus. And he will never let up. And that helps us to understand his plan for your life and my life. If you're saved here tonight and you're a child of God, say amen. Amen. That means Satan hates you. That means he wants to destroy you. That means he's going to attack you every time he can. And if he can get you down, he'll kick you while you're down. He just wants to tempt you into doing evil. He wants to destroy your testimony. And that's something he's going to continue to do until we go to heaven. Notice verse number one. I want to make this uh, clear that we understand this is a very important point. Right after the baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up of the what? Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. This was part of God's plan. He was led of the Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that led him into the wilderness, and it tells us the purpose, to be tempted by the devil. This was where Jesus Christ was going to face what some might call the arch enemy of God. There are different purposes in testings. The circumstances of the temptation we're going to look at in a moment, but understand that there's always a purpose in the temptations and the testings that we go through. Satan's purpose is to destroy us. God's purpose is to build us up. Satan wants us to fail the test. God wants us to pass the test. Someone has said, and we used it this morning, these testings, these temptations, these trials come in our life to either make us bitter or to make us better. And so we understand that. Uh, And so we're going to see that God's purpose in Jesus facing Satan was to overcome Satan, to be victorious over temptation, to be an example for us, and to teach us how you and I can become overcomers in our daily lives as Satan tries to tear us down. He was driven into the wilderness. This is called a place of devastation. It was barren and rocks, dusty, dangerous, dirty, jagged cliffs. Jesus was alone out there all by himself. Forty days and forty nights he fasted, did without any food. What was he doing during that time? I believe we can just uh, uh, assume that while he was out there, he probably had some scriptures with him. He was reading the scriptures. He was praying, talking to his father. He was meditating upon those things. He was preparing himself for the battle he was about to face. You and I need to learn something from that. If we know we're going to face some battles, we know Satan's after us, we need to be preparing. We need to be reading the Word of God. We need to be meditating upon the Word of God. We need to study the Word of God. We need to be praying and talking to our Father and asking for that help because the tempter is going to come our way. This tempter, who is he? The Bible calls him the devil. The Bible calls him Satan. He is our adversary. He is the leader of all those imps of the demonic host. He is the prince of this world, the prince in power of the air. He is the god of this age. The Bible calls him the prince of demons. His name is Lucifer, the serpent, the great dragon, the evil one, the destroyer, the deceiver, He is the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. He is the most wicked being that eternity has ever known. He is the most clever, the most subtle, the most crafty in this universe. He is the tempter. And he's going to face Jesus who has been 40 days fasting out in the desert alone, weakened, weary, and he's going to bring these temptations to our Savior. We see three waves. Let's look at them very quickly. Number one, in verse number three, and when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. The first word there is if. Satan always uses that word if. He always wants to plant doubt in your mind and my mind. You see, God wants us to have faith. He wants us to believe, but Satan wants us to doubt. And so Satan said, if thou be the son of God. In Genesis chapter three, if you want to turn there, you can just hold your place here and I'll read it for you. Genesis three, you remember the, uh, the temptation back there with Eve. The Bible tells us <clears throat> the serpent who is the most uh, subtle he came and he said to uh, Eve, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the, every tree of the garden. Yea, hath not God said, And the woman saith unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God, shed, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. What's he doing? He's getting her to doubt God's word. He's planting that seed of doubt into her mind. And then he goes on, he says, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And he gives a promise to her that was not for her from God. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and she ate of it and gave to her husband, he also did eat. She saw, she desired it and she took it. All because Satan planted that seed of doubt, if. So he always starts with that. He tries to work that in your life, in my life, that that doubt, if. Does God really care about you? Does God really know what you're going through? Is God really able to meet your needs? Are you going to go ahead and trust God and do things God's way? Or, you know, maybe there's another way to do it. And he plants those seeds of doubt in your mind and my mind. Now, Satan knew that Jesus was the Son of God. He had no doubt about it himself, but he was trying to use that doubt to our Savior. If something like this, as he was talking about these stones being turned to bread... He was saying, Hey, listen, if God is your father, if you're really the Son of God, why would He want you to come out here in this wilderness? Why would He want you out here in this desolate place? Why would He want you, the King of glory, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, why would He want you out here being hungry in the wilderness? Well, it's beneath your dignity. You have the ability to make these stones into bread. You have the right to do that if you're the king of kings. After all, it's just a little miracle. Look around. There's no food for miles. You're hungry. You can do something about it. Why don't you just go ahead and make yourself a good biscuit right there? The temptation was not just to perform a miracle and turn the stones into food. The temptation was to distrust his father. That was a temptation. Can you really trust God? Why is he have you out here? Why are you going through this? If you're really his child, why are you going through these difficulties? And so the temptation was just do something from your own desire. Brother uh, Daniel used a scripture this morning, and I'm going to repeat it here, about temptation Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when the lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So that temptation comes, and when we yield to it, it becomes sin and death. The temptation was, don't trust your father. You can do something about it yourself. Satan basically said... Satisfy yourself. You're entitled to it. Take the situation in your own hands. Rebel against God. And that was the temptation. How did Adam fall? He rebelled against God. He was disobedient to God. Understand, the miracle of turning stones to bread was not a sin. Jesus fed the multitudes with just a few fish and bread. He fed over 5,000 one time, over 4,000 another time. He fed the disciples. That was not a sin for him to do that type of a miracle. The sin would be to disobey and distrust and rebel against God. Notice Jesus' answer, the red letters, verse 4. He answered and said, it is written. Let's notice. Every time that Satan brought a temptation, Jesus quoted scripture. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. He was quoting from Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. It's interesting to note that in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it's a uh, lesson that Moses is rehearsing for the people there and reminding them of how God was able to supply for them through those 40 wills, forty years in the wilderness. How that they were uh, without food and without water, but every time God was able to miraculously supply food and water for them. And so we see in that chapter there as he's talking about that, it's a good parallel of what we see here. And the children of Israel, they kept murmuring and turning against God. You remember that, but Jesus didn't. Jesus said, I'm not gonna trust the devil. I'm not gonna trust you. I'm not going to uh, distrust my father. I'm going to have complete trust that he will take care of me. Jesus was saying bread is not necessary, but God is. God is the sustaining source of life. He will meet my needs. I have absolute confidence in his love, in his care, in his promise, and his provision. Jesus said, I chose and I choose now to believe God my father above any circumstance, no matter what the circumstance is. Now we need to learn from that because there's times in your life, in my life, when we begin to question, does God really care? And Satan wants to get us to doubt and to turn away from following God's word. How many Christians, how many Christians, people who say they are born again, they say they believe God, they say they believe the word of God, but they don't even come to church because their actions speak louder than their words. Or they say they believe God and they believe the plan of God. But they don't tithe. Because they say, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can trust God. And they neglect all the promises that God gives. Jesus said, I, I promise, uh, I choose God. I believe God. No matter what the circumstances. He will never leave me. He will not forsake me. He will provide for me my needs in his time and his way. I don't need to rebel against my father. And so Satan comes with a second wave, and we see the next temptation. Verse 5, Then the devil taketh him into a holy city, and sitteth him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he saith unto him, If, there's that word again, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give the angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against the stone. Satan's second temptation was equally as subtle. He said, so, all right, you're going to trust God? All right, he's promised to take care of you? Okay, come with me. And he takes him up to this pinnacle of the temple. Now this was actually uh, Herod's porch, and it's set up high. They tell us 450 feet above the Kidron Valley. 450 feet high. He can come out there and look down. In fact, they tell us, historians tell us that that's where James, the brother of Jesus, was cast off of there and uh, killed there as they cast him down 450 feet. Satan said this, well... Why not do something kind of supernatural? Why not do something to prove that you're the Messiah? Why not just uh, throw yourself off of here and maybe do a little swan dive off of here and float down and land, and then everybody will believe you're the Messiah. And he used scripture to do it. Psalm 91, if you'll turn there. I want want you to see this. Psalm 91 was a scripture that Satan quoted. Do you know Satan knows the Bible better than you and me? I believe he does. And so he used the Bible. He said, Okay, you're going to use the Bible with me? I'll use the Bible with you. And in Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up uh, in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. He quoted it pretty well, didn't he? Satan knows the Bible, and he quoted it well. And it's about the Messiah, it's about Christ. But I want you to notice that he was not rightly dividing the word of truth. In our men's breakfast every month, we are going through the book, rightly dividing. The word of God can be divided rightly or wrongly. and We see it divided wrongly all the time. And that's what Satan does. No matter, he, the Bible says, don't be amazed if he comes with scriptures. He's a, he'll come as an angel of light and all of his ministers will come like that. And you see him on the uh, television and you hear him on the radio and you see him on the internet, all these false prophets with the word of God, but they're chopping it up and using it wrongly. And let me show you how he used it wrongly here. Back up. You always got to keep the word of God in context. Uh, let's back up a little bit. Verse two, I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him will I trust. Come on down to verse 9. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. Because you've done that, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up, etc. He said, because you have kept God as your fortress, your faith is in him, Your trust is in him. These things won't befall you. And so understanding that you keep it in context. Satan was using this out of context. Do you really trust God? Then prove it. Throw yourself down off of this pinnacle. It was a temptation to presume upon God. The temptation was to say, well, God's going to take care of me. It doesn't matter. I'll just dive off and see what happens. Because he's promised to take care of me, presuming on God, presuming on his goodness, presuming on his care. Jesus answered in verse 7, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, this is a, a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6. and We see him uh, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and giving this answer. Uh, several messiahs, several false messiahs have come into the world and they've all been proven false. One guy said, I can divide the Jordan River. And of course he couldn't do it. And they stoned him to death. Another guy said, well, I can fly. And he jumped off of a large building and he splattered to his death and he died. And he said, that's not the messiah. And there's times the Bible says when somebody made a prophecy and it wasn't true, you knew, knew that they were not a prophet of God. That was all back in the Old Testament. You know what's still happening today? How about the Jehovah's Witnesses who, what, half a dozen times said, the Lord's coming back on this day, and he didn't come. Well, the Lord's coming back on this day, and they keep changing it. And you see people on the internet all this time, and they talk about the blood moon and all this, and the Lord's coming back on such and such a day, and oh, he didn't come. Well, uh, four more years, 10 more years, all of this, that's false prophecy. The Bible says we don't know the day or the hour. Nobody's going to know that. And so uh, for people to try to do that, the Mormon church, we've got a Mormon temple coming to our town. And it's, it's neat for us to understand, it's needed for us to understand that Mormonism is a cult, is taking people to hell. How many times have they changed their false doctrines? You just look and their doctrines have changed time and time and time again. Why? Because it's false doctrine and people find out, well, that's not true. And so they change their doctrine. They used to say black people had no soul. They wouldn't allow black people to be members of their church and so forth. Of course, times have changed. So they had to change their doctrine. And it's like that throughout their false doctrines. They are false prophets and they're taking people to hell. We see atheists when they get into uh, uh, debates. Have you seen this? You ever watch the debate of an atheist and a Christian? And the atheist will say something like this Well, if God would just come down and stand in front of me, or if God would just show me a sign, or if God, and they look for signs. People have been looking for signs down through the ages. That's what the Pharisees said, and the Sadducees, and the scribes, and the political people of Jesus' time. Well, just show us a sign. He said, I'll show you a sign, the only one you'll see. It says, Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. The Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And in three days and three nights, Jesus rose from the dead. That's a sign that they should have believed. But they still refuse. Because their hearts are darkened. Any yielding to this type of shenanigans and showiness is to bypass the plan of God. Now get this and understand this. I'm not going to take time to read Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. talks about how Jesus was led as lamb to the slaughter. Or Psalm 22, which is a prophecy about Jesus when he was on the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We can go back to those Old Testament scriptures, and we can see that those scriptures were showing us that there was a plan that God had was for Jesus Christ to die on the cross. Even those people who saw the miracles that Jesus did, many of them followed him just for the miracles. Jesus said, some of you are just following me because you want more bread. John chapter 6, many turned and went away and went away from him. There's never any good purpose for you and I to put ourselves in a reckless position, a dangerous or threatening situation expecting God to rescue us, whether it be physically or financially or morally or whatever it might be. We are called to obey God's word and to do what he says. Yes, there's some stands to be taken, and sometimes there's some dangers and risks to face, but not for the purpose of sensationalism or to draw people to Christ. But we need to do what God tells us to do and the way he tells us to do it. In verse 4, Jesus said, I'm going to trust and obey my father. In verse 7, Jesus said, I will not seek to presume upon my father. And so Satan says, well, I want to give you another temptation. That temptation comes in verse number 8 and 9. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Well, you and I would say, well, wait a minute. All the kingdoms of the world, aren't they his anyway? Don't they belong to him? Didn't he already create them? Doesn't he hold it all together by him? All things consist How is this a temptation? Satan was offering him something that you and I need to understand. He was offering him something different than what God the Father had for him. You see, the thing that made the difference was this. When Satan said to Jesus, I'll give you everything, all the the wealth of the world, all the kingdoms, if you'll just fall down and worship me he was saying to Jesus, you can have all of this if you'll bypass the cross. You don't have to go through the agony. You don't have to go through the pain. You don't have to go through the rejection. I can give you all of this. You can have it all without the cross. But Jesus looked at the cross and he saw you and me. And Jesus, the songwriter said, when he was on the cross... I was on his mind. Jesus saw the cross that it was the only way that you and I could be saved and have eternal life. So Jesus said, no way. I'm not going to bow down to your way. I'm not going to worship you because I'm going to do things the Father's way. The cross. The bloody path. By the way, Every time you and I commit a sin, we are, we are worshiping the devil. If you and I were to look at a cult that are uh, devil worshipers, people who are committing uh, blood sacrifices to the devil and they're uh, doing all of that wicked stuff that you and I might think of, the Church of Satan and uh, all of the uh, types of cults, The occult, they're involved in all of that thing. We would say, that is wicked, that is terrible. Those people are bowing down to the devil, Satan, Lucifer. They're doing wicked things in the name of their God, Satan. Yet you and I need to recognize it. every time we sin, we are saying no to the Father's will and yes to Satan's will. If you and I are worshiping the Lord, then we would not do that sin. But every time you go against God's will, you are usurping your own will and the will of Satan over the will of God, and it is sin. We are submitting to temptation of the devil. We are submitting to doubting, disputing, disobeying our Heavenly Father, ultimately rebelling against Him. And rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Jesus responds in verse 10. Look at it. Jesus says in verse 10, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus was not making a suggestion to Satan. When he said, Get thee hence, he was making a command. Did you ever talk to the devil? Huh? Have you? How many of you say, yeah, I've talked to the devil a time or two? Oh, yeah. Okay. You, you need to learn. You need to learn to say no when temptation comes. You need to learn to say, sometimes you need to say it verbally. Sometimes you need to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus said it a number of times. We need to sometimes talk out loud to the devil. You say, uh, really? Would you really believe that? Yeah, yeah, I believe. Now, the devil's. Let's be real. The devil is not really concerned with you and me. But he's got a lot of imps out there. He's got a lot of demons, and they are concerned with you and me. And we have the the devil who will use the world, and he will use the things of the world, and he will use our own flesh against us, and he will try to tempt us to do things wrong, to get away from God's will. Sometimes it's just a subtle thing. and We say, well, it's just a little thing, but there's nothing little in God's sight. Sin is sin. And the devil wants to get us to do those little things that are wrong. And as he does that, as he tempts us, when that temptation comes, sometimes it is wise for us to say, I ain't going to do that. Just verbally say no to some of those things. Sometimes you might be alone all by yourself. And uh, the temptation comes. And you need to verbally say, no, I'm not going to give in to that. And just say no to the devil. We had a man in our church there in Greeley. I don't know if you remember, uh, Victor Ernst. You remember him? Victor Ernst, he wrote the book, I, I Talked With Spirits, and he was one. He was one who had experiences, and I believe they were very real experiences, of where he talked with demons, and he, he, he cast them out, and that type of thing. Those things, listen, demons are just as active today as they've ever been. Demon possession is real. Real. And I don't say get into any of that stuff, but I say there are times when you and I need to realize that we are in a real battle and sometimes we need to just literally say no to temptation when it comes our way. When you say no to that temptation, it helps you. It encourages you because you hear your own voice say no to that temptation. When you make a statement that you're going to live for the Lord, when you, listen, when invitation comes and you make a decision in your heart, that's a wonderful thing. When the invitation comes and you bow your head and you talk to the Lord because he's talked to you, that's a good thing. But let me tell you, you ought to go a step further. You need to go a step further. And when you finish praying that prayer and that dedication or that commitment to the Lord, you need to tell somebody about it. And you need to become accountable for that. You need to say, listen, I made this decision. Brother Dan, when you preach this morning, here's the decision I made for Christ. And you need to speak up because as you do that, it encourages somebody else, but it also encourages you. You're talking to yourself when that happens. And so Jesus said, get thee behind me. Get thee hence, Satan. And Satan had to take off. Now the Bible tells us this in James chapter 4, that if we will submit ourselves therefore unto God... Resist the devil and he will what? Did you know you can resist the devil and he'll flee from you? But before the resistance to the devil comes submission to God. The verse before that says we need to humble ourselves. We humble ourselves And we submit to God and say, God, I don't understand it. I don't understand why the circumstances are what they are. I don't understand how your word works and how your promises work. But God, I'm going to submit to your will. Not my will, but thy will be done. And Satan comes along and he begins to tempt you. And you say, no, I'm not going to do that. And you've submitted to God and you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. And you can overcome that temptation that... He brings in your life. There are no shortcuts to blessings when it comes to the things of God. Humble ourselves and obey. Trust and obey is very simple and yet very real. Submit to God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Somebody says, well, it's just a little thing. We just bend the rules a little bit. Just a little white lie. Well, it's just just a pen. It's just a, a package of uh, staples from where I work. It's just a, uh, it's not small. It's just small. They won't miss it. It's thievery. It's stealing. It's a lie. Any compromise to be popular, to move up the ladder, to have position or power. We see, we see politicians doing this all the time. We see it out in Hollywood. We see it down in Nashville where people are selling their souls, so to speak, to the devil so that they can have something here in this life. Only God deserves our loyalty. God alone deserves our allegiance. God alone deserves our worship. And every time we say yes to temptation, we are yielding and worshiping Satan. And we need to learn to say no to Satan and say yes to God because Satan will tempt you to distrust God and to doubt. Doubt is love. Doubt is care. Doubt his word, doubt his plan, and you need to say no. Satan will tempt you to presume upon God. Oh, well, it's just a little thing. God will forgive me. After all, we live in the age of grace, and you begin thinking that way, and you presume upon God, and so you make a wrong choice, and you try to reason it out that it's okay this time. No, we need to learn to say no. No to temptation. Satan will tempt you to fulfill your ambition and desires in your own way. And you need to say no. Billionaire, Jeffrey Epstein. Billionaire, how many of you know who I'm talking about? Billionaire, committed suicide yesterday, hung himself in the jail cell. Billionaire, he had anything that anybody could ever want, but he didn't have Jesus. His life was empty. and. Satan can give you all those things, but he can't give you peace in your heart. Satan's plan is always the same. Give you a lust, a desire, and then you take it. And that's what his plan. Every attack that Satan had for Jesus Christ was, de- was defeated by quoting Scripture. And now we get to the very important part of this message. It's the end. Jesus quoted Scripture. Because the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Amen? The Bible says it's like a hammer that breaks the rocks in pieces. The Bible says God's word is like fire and it, it makes the clay hard and it melts wax. God's word is active and it is powerful. In fact, the scriptures that Jesus used from were, were from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a book in the Bible that many critics say that doesn't belong in the Bible. It's not really Scripture, but Jesus used it all three times, showing it is authentic and showing that it is authoritative. Psalm 119.11 was probably the first verse we taught any of our children. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not what? Sin Sin against thee. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. We taught them that scripture from the time they could begin to talk. And of course, their little dutchy talk, you couldn't hardly understand it, but they learned that scripture. And they learned that it's important to hide the word of God in our heart because that's what protects us against the temptation to sin. Psalm chapter one, I'll read a couple of scriptures and we'll be done. We're going to read Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted in the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's the Word of God, talking about the Word of God. Reading the Word of God, meditating upon the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God. Turn it with me and we'll close with Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. When it comes to fighting the devil, when it comes to fighting these imps, It's not our power. We need to have the power of his might. So how do we do that, Paul? The Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles, the trickery, the deceitfulness, the cunningness of the devil. Why? Verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's who our battle is with. It is a spiritual battle. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Why? That ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your girds Uh, Loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, that's right living, and having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now notice, above all, taking the shield of faith, not doubting, but having faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. As Satan casts those darts of doubt and fear your way, you can say no because you have that shield of faith and take the helmet of salvation knowing that you're saved. Do you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven? Be sure of your salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The sword, not your sword or my sword, but it's the sword of the Spirit. He knows how to use that sword. He knows how to wield that sword. We don't always know how, but we do know this, that if I will hide the word of God in my heart, when the devil comes along, the Holy Spirit has that word, that weapon to use it effectively. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit speak to your heart? Have you ever had the Holy Spirit just speak to your heart? Maybe you were thinking about doing something. Maybe you were considering doing something that wasn't right. Maybe as a temptation it'd come your way. And all of a sudden, a scripture comes to your mind. Just a part of a scripture. And the Holy Spirit uses that to draw you back from that sin. You see, it's the sword of the Spirit. He knows how to use that word. When you look at this word word in the Bible. You see, for example, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The word there, the the Greek word is logos, which means the written word and the living word. That's he was a logos. But when you read the word here in Ephesians chapter 6, the Greek word is Rama. And this is what it means. Where logos means the written word, the word Rama means the word that has been committed To memory. The word that has been put in your heart. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God. And it's by memorizing the word of God and reading the word of God and paying attention in Sunday school and Bible classes and the preaching of the word of God. And the word of God is given to us and we take it in and we meditate on it and we think about it and it becomes a part of us. And when temptation comes, then the Holy Spirit has that sword to pull out and to reach out and to cut away that we don't have to yield to temptation. And in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. That's another weapon we have is prayer. When the devil came to Jesus Christ and said, hey, listen, you need to do it this way. Jesus had an answer and it was the word of God. The word of God that he had hid in his heart that he was able to use. The greatest weapons that you and I have against the tempting attacks of the devil are constant, faithful living for the Lord. Just being consistent in your Christian walk, your testimony. Prayer. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Being always in an attitude of prayer, being in communication with our Heavenly Father. And of course then the word of God. And it's the word of God that we hide in our heart that we might not sin against him. God promises us protection if we'll stay within the boundaries that he has provided for us. Learn God's word. Learn how to lean on God's word. The songwriter said, learning to lean, learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. Somebody has said this, when Satan knocks on your heart's door with temptation, send Jesus to answer the door. You can overcome that temptation. Let God's word be real in our hearts and lives. Let it affect us daily when the devil comes that he will continue to come. It's a battle. And after every mountaintop is a valley. Remember, David went to the valley and he defeated Goliath. We heard about Deborah and Barak who went down in the valley and defeated the general the other army. And we read about how that Jesus was met with the greatest tempter of all time. And he overcame temptation through the word of God. And he gave us an example of how we can overcome temptation daily in our daily walk, if we will. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit MosesLakeBaptistChurch.com.